Let's Talk Supply Chain Asia-Pacific is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature prominent industry voices, thought-provoking commentary on news, current affairs, and the latest technologies, while connecting you to companies and innovative thinkers who are transforming supply chains in our region and across the world. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas only on Let's Talk Supply Chain Asia-Pacific. My name's Benji. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain Asia-Pacific. Oh, they've got the kids back on yet again. We should look into Let's Talk Supply Chain Asia-Pacific and just check about their labour laws that they're adhering to for the podcast. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain Asia-Pacific. My name's Jonathan Kempe. It's a pleasure to be back with you again in our 10-part series on technology and supply chains. And on this episode, I'll take us through a few fundamental thoughts about AI, artificial intelligence, chat GPT and LLMs, and do a bit of a deep dive into what that means for supply chains. So let's get started. Well, unless you've been living under a rock for the last six months, you would have witnessed the stratospheric rise of various artificial intelligence augmented technologies. This has come to public consciousness most proficiently through the work and dissemination of the tool ChatGPT from OpenAI. But there's a slew of others, hundreds if not thousands of new tools that have made their way into the open market because of one fundamental change that's occurred that was put into place about 6 to 12 months ago really, and even before that, um, since the 80s, but in a more modern context since the last 12 or so months, which was the implementation at scale and the more readily available commercial versions of large language models. You would have heard that phrase quite a lot over the last six months in particular, which to simplify is a way to coordinate the input of data using a special technique that is natural language processing or NLP to marshal that data into appropriate and productive output. So to simplify that even further, you can take a whole bunch of disparate information, which is in a data set, and you organize it so that you can fundamentally search through it and shift it sideways to useful information or insights in a rapid manner. And if you've used ChatGPT, you'll see this at play. It's almost magic as you use it because you type in something which seems like a complicated question and without pause and seconds later in most instances, it's created an entire anthology on the reply that you need. A classic of this, and yes, it's unbelievably annoying now and was cutesy to start with, is when people create poetry using ChatGPT. And they do it in a most amazing way. I mean, to start with, this is all fantastical, but now it's kind of uh, lost its sheen. Um, you could ask ChatGPT to create something like a 19th century reproduction of a poem that reflected your company's values in the style of a pirate. And without pause, it would do that, put together a whole rhyming set of couplets which talked about whatever values your company might decide to describe to other people, but do it with all the yars and piratey overtones that you would find if you'd comically tried to do that yourself. 
And when you look at that, it becomes inevitable for people to start questioning whether or not there's human elements inside the machine. And what has come out of the expression of OpenAI's ChatGPT and other tools is the inevitable question that perhaps, perhaps, we've stumbled across an era of general intelligence that sits behind the artificial intelligence, which has overtones and characteristics in line with humanity. And that has become a fascinating argument. We'll we'll park that for now, but has been a requisite part of the rise of LLMs and natural language processing, because it seems as though, that's our summary, it seems as though the machine itself is thinking just like us. And that begs the question, have we moved into a new epoch or era of machine-human interactions? And my basic summary to that is, yes, we have. We actually have stumbled into a new era, rapidly accelerated over the last six months of interactions between humans and machines. But our question becomes, with LLMs and natural language processing, NLP, the organization of that data into easy-to-access chunks and then the insights that follow, What impact does that have on us? And in particular, with our topic and context in hand, what impact might that have on supply chains? But before we dive into impacts on us or supply chains, we want to just pause and look at the historical context of how we've arrived to this point and what the evolution of these tools has meant for us in a very short period of time. When we step back and consider, and there's people listening along who might be old, grisly IT folk from a long time back who are shaking their heads at the current technologies that are being talked about quite readily, that, you know, we we discovered all this many, many years ago. We've had, you know, large language models or the equivalent, maybe small language models, if you wanted to call them that, because the data set was smaller many, many years ago. And natural language processing has been around for a long time. Um, I want to acknowledge that that's the case. With everything new, there's a taint of things that were old attached to them. But I also want to highlight that we haven't seen these technologies be more readily accessible and available and distributed in the way that we're seeing them right now. We have never seen, ever since the advent of computers, the rapid uptake of any one type of technology like we're seeing at the moment. Yes, you could put the entire internet into that category. However, a specific tool or expression of of tool through software has not been absorbed into popular culture and used as widely as a tool like ChatGPT has. When else, by question, when else have you heard someone down at a cafe talk extensively about some new technology that's been developed to such an extent that they've used it themselves or their partner's user or their grandmother is using it to write her emails or to conduct weird experiments with raps or poetry, as you've heard about ChatGPT. In short, it's quite a revolution, the likes of which we haven't really seen before. Uh, And I want to say that because it distinguishes it from recent technological forays, which some folk try and equate to this current era. Some people say, oh, this is the same as what we've seen through Web3 or crypto or NFTs. And I absolutely reject that premise. I think it's actually completely different to those technologies that have appeared in the last three to five years in particular, blockchain and otherwise. And there's one fundamental reason why it is different. 
And that is that the technologies we're seeing at the moment through LLMs, ChatGPT and other tools are infinitely useful. They're actually useful. Um, having a PhD level researcher in your back pocket who's absorbed the entire compendium of human history and anything that was written and is now transcribed into a digital format that you can ask questions to is infinitely useful. It actually has a real applicable use. And if you contrast that with, say, blockchain technology, which to summarize, I've found to be altogether unuseful and in, in many ways technically bereft in terms of being unable to deliver on what it's promised, you'll realize that the tools that we're all starting to toy with at this point in time, in particular the accessibility that we get through NLP-driven LLM technologies to bundle a whole bunch of buzzwords together, are proving themselves to have distinct benefits to businesses, individuals, consumers, and to augment the delivery of software packages that have been around for a long period of time. I'll give you one example of it, and it highlights the second point I want to make about why this is a revolution, and that is to do with accessibility. And if we consider a very complex software package like Blender, which some of you might have used, it's a 3D tool that allows you to create various environments and then to render them so that you can use three dimensions in various workplaces or contexts which require you to use additional dimensions to create objects or worlds or to simulate various activities. Blender itself is a very complicated software package and you normally need many, many years in order to understand what Blender is and to use it well. But an NLP front end, a, a way to type in a basic command into the front end of Blender to produce very complicated output or variables has arrived. And we've seen that through demonstrations, which you can find online. And what you're seeing there is an unraveling of something which has been a complicated relationship with technology ever since it was first conceived in the computerized age anyway. And that is the interactions that we have with technology and the way that we use them through a user interface. So if we think of UI UX, user interfaces, user experience, we realize that natural language processing and by extension the LLMs and, and data sets that sit behind them use a new way, they've created a new way to interact with machines that is far easier than we've had before. So Blender has a huge amount of menus, for instance, you'd have to know all those menus, learn all those menus, discover those menus, and then apply them to create what you needed over time. And, and people have been using Blender for a long period of time and other software packages from Adobe and so on uh, who are proficient at them only develop that proficiency over time. And then all of a sudden, we have this incredible revolution where you can just type in or say verbally what you want and boom, it appears on your screen. So instead of having to learn a complicated package, the UI UX has been simplified down to just entering a sentence using a natural language set of words or phrases, and all of a sudden, all of that complexity is stripped away. You're looking at a revolution in how we interact with machines, and that reminds me of this second value of why this revolution is so particularly different, and that is accessibility. Tools like natural language processing are actually the revolution here. The evolution that we see through LLMs is fascinating, and yes, you need that in the background to work properly. But in reality, the thing that LLMs and other data set mining operations or tools has brought about inside this new revolution 
has been made even more potent by the overlay of accessibility through natural language processing. And that's just a fancy way of saying it's become easier to get the information we need and then to put it to good use than it has ever been before. If you contrast what ChatGPT does by cognitively linking together various concepts so that you can ask a question, ask another question, and keep stacking your questions on top of it to create an entirely new set of answers, you'll realize that that is fundamentally different to how Google works. Google was a compendium of amazing information, but organized in a relatively static way. If you asked one question, you'd click on a website and then you were buried kind of in that specific website, linking it to another idea which conceptually was related, but in terms of logistics, in terms of being able to work your way through from one concept to another, from one rabbit hole to another, you had to move in a clunky fashion sideways. Uh, you're on YouTube watching a video, it might prompt a thought, you'd open another tab and go from that tab to ask Google a question, and now you're on another website, which was different to the YouTube vi video that you might have been watching, and so on and so forth. You, you know this because you've caught yourself going through a bunch of different rabbit holes where you're first trying to work out if cats are left-handed or not, and all of a sudden you're watching videos of Ariana Grande dressed as a rabbit, and you wondered how you got to that place. Now, as you consider that revolution, we've talked about two different examples as to why it's different. We then need to consider how we apply these technologies to us and the world around us, and in particular, as per the topic of this podcast, how it relates to supply chains. So if historically it's been different, the first thing we have to acknowledge is that the technology, when it gets applied today, is going to be applied in a somewhat clumsy manner. And as it gets applied, we'll start to see various tools or iterations or versions of this pop up. And some of them will work and some of them won't. And some of them will apply and some of them will be productive and some will increase our efficiency in some way. We'll see all of those expressions all happening as the technology evolves right in front of us. One thing I will note is that that evolution is happening more rapidly than I've ever seen in the 20 plus years I've had inside the technology domain as a systems administrator. And by that I mean when ChatGPT was released, within the space of about eight weeks, over 200 plus plugins or tools or apps as they're called were added to the ChatGPT stable within a very short period of time. We've seen the advent of entirely new ways of doing things that we haven't seen before. So the velocity of what is happening with change has accelerated dramatically. And as we've seen these new tools emerge, yes, some have been good and helpful and some have been useless and you know, kind of just a bit of noise. We've actually seen the landscape of software fundamentally shift because if you consider an offering from say Adobe, an incredible design house that's been around for a long time and their Firefly beta demo that they described where you could type various things in and integrate them into your audio, video or image-based packages that you're using through the Adobe software suite. That Firefly demo was quite impressive. However, it was kind of similar to about 10 or 15 or even 20 other AI-driven or AI-powered software packages that were on the market already. And immediately when you consider what that means, you've got software providers who've been around for a long period of time suddenly competing, and in some instances competing at scale, 
with small companies that have used these base level tools to create things that are just as powerful. And what that means when we apply the technology is that clumsy application of that technology also starts to breed a competitiveness across the software landscape, which we have just not seen before. Normally speaking, tools like Blender or Adobe's products or those that are pushed by huge software houses stood alone. They were really big and monolithic. They were hard to build. They were difficult to understand and they were hard to use. But now you've got a tool, which is a unified tool with the merits of using language as a unifying factor that can produce software extremely quickly. Not only can the layperson literally spin up a website using the power of their voice or a few typed phrases, all of the complicated software, which has relied on a defensive moat for a long period of time in order to maintain dominance, are suddenly being challenged by different software providers, some of whom are just single individuals, who are using that common tool of language to create things that, one, we haven't really ever seen before, but two, threaten the very existence of those large monolithic entities. I have a personal theory about this, that all software is trending towards zero. And that's the first time, if you're listening along, where you might hear that phrase, all software is trending towards zero. And what I mean by that is that the traditional way of creating software has fundamentally changed because the ability to code at scale and with great proficiency has now been offloaded primarily to machines. But secondly, the defensive moats that we've seen with software providers is going to be fundamentally eroded. And by that I mean, and I think I might be the first person to say this, I've researched this topic area a lot, and I say with all humility that I just have not heard this perspective shared before, The software that we depend on for lots of different activities will fundamentally be changed, shifted, and in many cases replaced by cheaper, more nimble, less tied to monolithic business models like large ongoing annual subscriptions in a way that we've never seen it before. So that phrase, software is going to zero, is just a reflection of the nature of software engineering has fundamentally changed and also the software that's produced through computer augmented or technology augmented engineering has changed as well. And we haven't actually seen the effect of this just yet. We haven't seen, with some exceptions, and there was a, an education provider whose share price tumbled just the other day because of the advent of something like ChatGPT, but we, we haven't seen monolithic software providers, you know, the large software packages, Adobe and otherwise, we haven't seen their bottom line get affected just yet. Uh, with the advent of LLMs, NLP-driven technologies like ChatGPT and otherwise, but it is coming. I can say, and I say this without any degree of pleasure, but with just an observational intent and a desire to instruct and inform those who are listening, you are going to see some of the largest companies in the world be dramatically impacted. I'm I'm talking share prices to millions or billions of dollars be shaved off in terms of total value and the fundamental operations of those businesses get shifted sideways to such an extent that you will be surprised with those outcomes that occur. And you'll be surprised to note the shift in power that occurs when software is challenged by these new sets of technologies. If you consider what that means 
for you as an individual and potentially through the corporations that you interact with, you'll start to see a change towards more nimble models of subscription or different models of monetization, some of which we have not even seen before or we have not even seen emerge as yet. So what does that mean for supply chains? Well, if we think about the history of supply chains and we realize that supply chains in general and supply chain participants are usually reluctant to adopt types of technology and also can be a bit slow on the uptake when it comes to integrating that technology into their own environments, we can realize that with the velocity and pace of change that's happening with ChatGPT, LLMs and artificial intelligence, that many participants just to start with will be left behind. They don't have the capability beyond their own operational standards to even think about what those technologies might mean for them. And by left behind, I don't mean left behind because they are technologically Luddite or they don't want to make a change or a difference in their operations. They'll just get left behind because the pace of their competitors who may be adopting those new technologies into their own environments will just simply outmatch them. You'll have two companies who might be in the same segment one of whom has taken the time to work out what a new technology can do and has implemented it into their own operational environment, and the other who has not been able to do so, they'll just end up being further apart than ever before. We're seeing that emerge already with certain key providers who are integrating some types of immature versions of ChatGPT and other NLP-driven technologies into their tech stack and subsequently into their business. And these initial forays are a little bit clumsy and they don't really meet certain needs. They actually put more distance between that company and their customers, which is not a great idea. But what it is is an indication or a declaration of intent about what is coming. They are experimenting heavily with those technologies and they're looking to and they're willing to put them into place to bring about that competitive edge or potentially differentiate from the other competitors in their marketplaces. The next observation I'd make about those technologies is that some of them will be transformational and some will be completely useless and a complete distraction. As you work out which is which, you need to, and as per the first episode in this 10-part series, you need to work out what the business use case is that is driving your desire to implement that technology. What is it that you're trying to achieve? I'll give you an example where this can fall apart. We've seen a couple of large companies, I won't name them, but a large bunch of companies in the real-time visibility space who are putting in ChatGPT-powered chatbots to interact with customers. Now, as I mentioned earlier, distancing yourself is not a great idea. Instead of putting that chatbot right at the front of your operations to talk with customers, you should actually use it behind the scenes with the operators who deal with customers and give them the tools that they need to have better customer interactions and to give them the intelligence, research and academic material that they might require to do their job better. That will enhance your customer experience. It won't detract from it. And so that's just one small example of what's been tried in supply chains to date and how it's been applied in the wrong manner. It doesn't meet the, the best business use case. It won't enhance profitability. In fact, for the most part, with the C-suite and otherwise, it'll be a complete distraction. Our second observation is to use these tools wisely and to be wary of them. When you use them wisely, it means that you're applying to your business case the tool in an intelligent manner. You know exactly what it's supposed to do and you're asking it to do it well. 
But in order to apply it properly, in order to be wary of how you apply it, you also want to make sure that it doesn't just ingest all of your data and either leak it sideways to your competitors or put it out into the open market. We're seeing this more than ever, and it's a cybersecurity and privacy concern that is a very real concern with these different solutions or platforms that have appeared, including ChatTPT and others. Where is the data going? Where is it housed? Who has access to it? Is it being used just for training information or is it being used for other purposes as well? You need to be wise to apply it well, but wary as to how your data is being used. Our final observation is about how software may be trending towards zero. We're saying it's a pretty bold statement, but we're actually saying that it is trending towards zero. The complexity of software engineering has changed dramatically and in a very short period of time. For people who are employers, your software engineers should be augmented by these new tools, not completely replaced, but augmented. And generally speaking, you should be paying less for those software engineers. We'll actually change the face of software engineering, and it's already done that already in a certain number of domains. And secondly, the software subscriptions that you subscribe to will change as well. What you'll start to see is the aggregate spend that you have for your software will shift and morph as different software packages come onto the market and as different monetization opportunities are brought to bear. What you should see as well is a shift and a change with monolithic or large subscription items or even large software purchases that you may be performing at the moment on an annual basis. That sort of software will be dramatically challenged by this new paradigm that exists at the moment. And what I expect to see is a marked reduction in spend over time in the short and long terms, but definitely in aggregate. So that's our final thought about how these technologies get applied inside supply chains. And we hope that it's been useful for you to understand the context in which those technologies exist, and then to pause and consider how you might apply those technologies to what you do. We'll continue this series and we'll learn a bunch of different things from actual providers of different software packages. And what I'll try and do is interrogate them about what their packages are trying to achieve so that you can make an intelligent choice about what software or technologies or solutions can be applied inside your own supply chain. So stick around for additional podcast episodes and to hear more from us and a range of special guests and vendors and software suppliers in the coming weeks on Let's Talk Supply Chain, Asia Pacific. <laughs>